Welcome to In My Own Words, where we stand on our opinion like Tom Brady stands for being the GOAT of all sports. You heard me right. Let's start the show. Welcome to episode 64. 64. Of In My Own Words, I am your host, Tony R. Sanders. Uh, If you're wondering why I'm dressed like an Eskimo, it's because I do this podcast in my garage. And it's cold because my garage happens to be located in Indianapolis, Indiana, where it's 22 degrees outside. I don't mean to start this off angry, but I am. It's 22 degrees! And I'm recording a podcast in my garage. As a matter of fact, let me check the weather again. Hey, Siri. What's the weather right now? Hmm? You heard me. It appears to be cloudy right now with a temperature of 21 degrees. It's 21 degrees! And I do this podcast in my garage. This is my garage, by the way. If you're watching this on YouTube, this is my garage, okay? The wall behind me is a garage. If I were to zoom out the camera angle just a little wider, you would see a treadmill over there. You would see a power outlet box over there. The breaker box is right there. You would see the garage door, the garage door opener. If I turn the camera around, you see my dad's pool table that's been stuck here for two years now. You'd see backdrops and green screens that I don't use and a bunch of boxes that I can't throw away. Sorry for being angry. Uh, Welcome to episode 64. of the in my own words podcast i'm your host tony r sanders uh let's just do another round of applause let's let's get the mood going the right way you know what i mean we need to start this episode off with a wow award you guys know what a wow award is if you're a new listener new viewer you may not know what a wow award is but if you're an og listener you know exactly what a wow award is a wow award is when i give someone An award for choosing whackness over wisdom. That means they knew better, but somehow they still chose not to do better. And for this week, the wild word goes to all you haters, all you fools, all you idiots who are trying to say Tom Brady is not the greatest athlete of all time. Of all time. You get this wow. Oh my God. Wow. You can tell a lot about someone and what they think about something based on the arguments they construct we're about to get real psychological up in this piece okay now to me it's not worth debating whether tom brady is the goat and i mean the greatest of all time of football it's not worth debating that it's kind of not even worth debating it of all sports but i'm still in a position where i'm tolerating the conversation now for context i am not a new england fan i'm not a tampa bay buccaneers fan I don't even really like Tom Brady as a quarterback. I'm an Indianapolis Colts fan. This guy's broken my heart more than anybody else. (laughs) More than anybody else of any other sport. Tom Brady has broken my heart many times, okay? So I'm not a Tom Brady fan. But when goats are talking, everybody else should shut up. When goats are doing goat things, you can look at it and say, that's a goat. If it walks like a goat and it talks like a goat, and it plays like a goat, well, then guess what? 
It's a goat. <laughs> that goat sounded a lot like stronger and more masculine in pre-production. Now I don't know. <laughs> it doesn't even sound like a goat. It sounds like a, a baby human pretending to be a goat. Listen. Man. Man. I could have did that better. <laughs> but what I'm saying is this. There's no debating whether he's the greatest football player of all time. If you bring up anybody else, we're not talking about it. We can't talk about Joe Montana. We can't talk about Jerry Rice, okay? We can't talk about uh, Deion Sanders, who I love, who's my favorite athlete. We can't talk about any of these guys. We can't talk about Bo Jackson. We can't talk about anybody else. They're out of the question. Tom Brady is the GOAT. He's been to 10 Super Bowls. He's won seven. Tom Brady's won more Super Bowls than most franchises, if not all of them. One person, one guy. And you can say, oh, he's lucky. Oh, he's always in the right team, the right place. His defense is always great. It doesn't matter. He's there leading the team as the quarterback, playing a pivotal role in every single game. Even if it's just being a good game manager. People always give game manager, that term, that phrase, a bad name. You should manage the game as a quarterback. Let me tell you something. I played quarterback varsity for four years in high school. I said that to say I am not qualified to talk about this conversation <laughs> from a quarterback perspective. I know you thought I was going somewhere different than that. I know you thought, oh, wow, he's played quarterback. Maybe he's going to use that as leverage to say he should be able to speak. Or No, I've never played it at that level. But I do know this. You can do two things, and you should do two things as a quarterback. You should do everything to, you can do to help your team but win the game. Offense, score points, put people in the position, make the right pass, make the right read, hand the ball off, call the right plays, transition into the right audibles. You should do all these things to make sure your team wins. But that's only one side of the coin. The other side of the coin is this. You should do everything that you can to make sure your team doesn't lose. And that's where it comes into being a game manager, being smart, having awareness, knowing when you should take the short route instead of throwing the deep ball, knowing when you should check down or throw it out of bounds, knowing when you should have a, a certain amount of time on the clock left where you should run certain plays and you shouldn't run certain plays and you should take a risk here and not take a risk there. You should manage the game. Don't turn the ball over. Hey, you have on a red jersey. Don't throw it to the people with the other color jerseys on. It's simple. It's what a quarterback should do. So the football discussion is out. We don't have to talk about football anymore. Now we do something much harder, and we talk about the other sports. And this is where you guys choose wackiness over wisdom. You start doing stupid stuff. One of the first names I heard when everybody was saying, congrats, Tom Brady has seven rings, he's the GOAT, was Robert Ory. Listen to me. Oh, my God. Wow. Robert Ory. First of all, half of you guys listening to this don't even know who that is. You've never heard of Big Shot Bob. Robert Ory is an NBA player who has seven championships. He uh, won championships with the Lakers, with the Spurs. That's where I fell in love with Robert Ory, shooting a big shot for the Lakers to be able to win their championship. He was not a franchise player. He did not always play a pivotal role in every game the team played. That's the biggest difference, right? He wasn't the marquee attraction. Ain't nobody coming to see you, Bob. Ain't nobody coming to see Bob. Tom Brady is box office. He's going to have an impact on every single game. Every single game is important. Every single game is a part of the puzzle that puts together this championship team. And Big Shot Bob 
was nowhere to be found for the majority of his championship runs. So we get him out of here, okay? Then we want to talk about Bill Russell. Now, all due respect to the legend Bill Russell, but I will say this. When you played in the NBA and it was only eight teams, it was only eight teams, and half of those guys were working in coal mines in the offseason and after games, I don't want to hear about your 11 championships. You should have won 30. Why did you lose? I want to talk about the seasons you lost. Why did you lose to these guys? You're seven, eight. You're black. Let's not be, let's not be, you know, let's not mince words here. In the 40s and 50s, playing basketball, that was a big advantage. <laughs> it's still a big advantage today. Why did you lose at all? You lost to who? Who'd you lose to? Who'd Bill Ruff? Jerry West? Did you lose to Jerry? Who are you losing to? You're eight feet 12 playing against coal miners and postal workers and mailmen. It's only eight teams. An eight, uh, the undefeated season would be 8-0. You beat everybody. You should win every time. It's like me telling you my record and playing 21 in the neighborhood. Hey, when we played on the milk court, <laughs> when the, with the court with the milk crates, you guys probably don't know about this. If you grew up in the hood, you know, a little less deserving area uh, like I did. You know, you grew up in a place where finances and resources weren't readily available. We would take a milk crate, cut the bottom of it, and nail it to the light pole. And I am here to tell you today that in our two-on-two games, I never lost. Never lost. <laughs> Not once. Does that matter? Does that mean anything? I mean, for my time in the circle and generation I am, yeah, it means something amongst us. But in the pantheon, the greater scheme of basketball, does that mean much? Ah, not really. All due respect, but you're not a goat. This is goat talk. You're not a goat. <laughs> you're good. You were good. You can only play against the competition you have. I believe that. You're good. But you're not in this conversation. Please have a seat, my good man. Next, we have to talk about all the other names you brought up. Tiger Woods. Tiger Woods. Listen, Tiger was a legend. I just watched this documentary a few weeks ago. It was amazing. I planned to talk about it on the podcast, but I never got around to it. The documentary was amazing. But listen, holes were Tiger's kryptonite, okay? You want to know how Tiger Woods can be taken down? You want to know how you can eliminate him from the GOAT conversation? Put a hole in front of him and see what he does. Not holes. He handled holes very well. He handled the holes very well. I'm talking about the holes. Take the L out, and then that's what you get, an L from Tiger. Take the L out and hand it to Tiger, and that's when he's going to run into a problem. So his run wasn't as great or as long as it should have been as Tom Brady's is because he got taken out by the hoes. Everybody has a kryptonite. Everybody has a kryptonite, except for the goats. Tell me what is Tom Brady's kryptonite? We don't know. We thought it would be old age, but he's 43. And he's a football 43. That means he's really like 76. And he's still doing it and making it look easy. And make Patrick Holmes look like a little kid. So for you to bring up Bill Russell. Oh, my God. Wow. For you to bring up Tiger Woods. Oh, my God. Wow. And for you to bring up Serena. Oh, my God. 
Listen, how could I navigate this conversation without getting in a lot of trouble? Um, no. No, she's not the GOAT. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say. She's not the GOAT. You can tell me why. You can, you know, run wherever you want to run with that. She's not the GOAT. You can't even really fairly compare individual sports to team sports, right? I don't, I don't like to compare individual sports to team sports. It's just like when we're talking about some of the greatest music. We're not going to take bands and compare them to individuals. First of all, the longevity of a band is way shorter than an individual. Michael Jackson was a part of the Jackson Fives for a, a less amount of time than he was on his own. Because when there's other people involved, you get other personalities, other dreams, other desires, other hopes. And that starts to break up the band. Look at the Fugees. They couldn't last. Look at all the greatest bands of all times. They don't even like each other anymore. There was more fake temptations and ex-temptations than real temptations. You can't keep them together. So I don't want to hear about what you did on your own. Good for you, Michael Phelps. Good for you, Serena. Good for you. It's not the degree of difficulty is so much lower when you have five other, 10 other, 12 other, 52 other personalities to deal with. And to be able to keep it together that long. We're talking about a 21-year-long run with 10 Super Bowl appearances and seven Super Bowls. There's nothing left to talk about. There's nothing left to talk about. He is the goat of all goats. Go talk. (laughs) Such a horrible soundbite. I don't know. Let me give that soundbite the... For all of you still saying Tom Brady's not the GOAT, you're an idiot. That's my final take. You're an idiot. Well, <laughs> again, uh, thank everybody. I need to do this. I forgot about this. I uh, did this earlier. Everybody that came out to the show at White Rabbit last Friday, thank you. Round of applause for you guys. It's a great show. I'll put some of the pictures up on the YouTube video so you guys can see that. Had a great set. Uh, A lot of great comedians were there. Had a fun time, a fun night, and I'm looking to do more. I'm in this mode, man, where I'm writing stand-up every day. Every day, I'm writing new bits, new jokes, and that's the habit that I've always wanted to have. That's the habit that I picked up from uh, one of my comedy heroes, Jerry Seinfeld. He has such a structured, strenuous writing process. And uh, I was watching this documentary. I was going to do a two-word review on it, but I won't. But I'll talk about it a little bit. I want to do a two-word review on something else. Uh, I watched the documentary from Showtime on the Comedy Store. If you guys haven't seen this, you should see it. And uh, I'll be honest, it inspired me, but it also pissed me off at the same time. And I'll talk about both of those things. But uh, I can't remember who said it on there. Um... I want to say it was Leslie Jones. I've watched so many comedy documentaries, honestly, I can't remember. But someone said on on the, pretty sure it was on the Comedy Store documentary, um, whoever writes the most jokes will win in the end of the day. And it was all about your writing habits, writing practices, and, and getting up and being able to work out the things that you wrote. And I agree with that 100%. So I have um, a goal to write something every day. 
And it may not be my best material. It may not be the funniest thing I've ever said. It may not be the greatest lines. It may end up being a great bit, which some of the stuff that I, a lot, all the new stuff that I tried out, with the exception of one thing, worked really well on Friday. Like, almost kind of like, I didn't expect that to go as well as it did for that room. Um, but it, it worked pretty good, right? And I felt like it was a really solid set. And so now I can't wait to sharpen up some of that new stuff and get back out there. But what I saw in this Comedy Store documentary. So the Comedy Store is a, a comedy club in L.A. started by Mitzi Shore and her husband. And the documentary does a, a great job of laying out Mitzi's passion for comedians and her eye for talent. And it's incredible to me how all of this talent, all of this energy, all of this greatness can be channeled to one place. Right. And that's what you get to see at the comedy store. That's one of the reasons why it made me so upset that I wasn't able to be a part of it in the, in its heyday. And it's still going on now. And it's, you know, but it's it's in L.A. It's not like I can just drive to L.A. or go to L.A. You know, I a family and four kids. If I could, I wouldn't be doing this podcast in my garage. I'd be doing it in LA. But it's great to see how much talent funneled all into this one place. When you think about Richard Pryor, Eddie Murphy, when you think about Chris Rock, when you think about, of course, Pauly Shore, when you think about Joe Rogan, Bill Burr, Louis C.K., Neil Brennan, Tim Allen, Dave Coulier, Bob Saget, um, when you think about um, Leslie Jones, which I mentioned earlier, Roseanne, when you think about Whitney Cummings, when you, I like the list just goes on and on. Damon Wayans, Jim Curry, like the list just goes on and on. Every time a Joey Diaz, like every time another person popped up, I was like, oh, that, that, that's Anthony Jeselnik. That's, oh, 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 that's, you know. And it's just amazing to see all that talent come together. And it's amazing to see. Mitzi's eye for talent to be able to distinctly tell someone you're good you need to be a paid regular or you're not good you need to get the hell out of here <laughs> and sometimes he was wrong right one of the there were a few notable faces missing from the documentary right of course you saw Eddie Griffin as another one the more I talk about it the more I'm thinking of names Steve Martin um, but you didn't see Cosby mentioned in the documentary maybe because you know he's done some things sip tea But you didn't see him mention there was a reference to Steve Harvey just talking about how he never wanted to perform at that club. Tiffany Haddish was in the documentary and Tiffany talked about how uh, Mitzi told her that she just wasn't good enough. She wasn't going to be a comedian. Uh, Jerry Seinfeld was not mentioned and Jerry did not have a good experience at the comedy store. So there's been times where she's been wrong about people, but she was right a lot. And you see the evolution of comedy through this documentary. You see when uh, you see the falling of the gatekeepers. That's the theme that I love about this comedy store documentary. You see the falling of the gatekeepers. Um, you see how when you first, you know, first comedy store first opened, everyone wanted to get there and work on their material and work on their bits and get it good enough to be accepted by Mitzi and become a paid regular uh, just to get the Johnny Carson. And they showed how guys would do do a great set at the comedy store. You get pulled, you go on Johnny Carson, and boom, your life is on a rocket to the moon. 
And then it started to evolve from, you know, you want to get on the late show till you go to the comedy store, you do a great set, you get a TV show. And that's the part where I wish we could have gotten more examples of. They gave great examples, right? But I think one example of my favorite comedians that I'm pretty sure went through that same process was Gerard Carmichael and ended up with an NBC show with his last name on it, The Carmichael Show. Three seasons, great show. Uh, him and NBC couldn't agree creatively, and so they stopped it. But that was a recent example of how that's still a thing. And then it went from you know only having The Tonight Show to having all these networks available to you to star in sitcoms, or a lot of them went to movies and all these other things. Then it opened it up to podcasts, and you start to see Joe Rogan and Tony Hinchcliffe with Kill Tony, and you see uh, Eric Griffin with Griffin with Griffin, and you see all these comedians who are building up audiences with Bill Burr, the Monday Morning Podcast, and then taking those audiences to their podcast and saying, forget about the TV show. Forget about the Tonight Show. I couldn't care less if I went and did stand up for Jimmy Fallon. I couldn't I couldn't care less. But I like to do my podcast. Uh, there was a comedian, um, Burt Kreischer, I think who is who it was. Yeah, I think it was Burt. He was talking to Joe Rogan, I think Bill Burr, and they were telling him, you need to quit this show. Yeah, he had a show on like Food Network. And I was like, you need to quit. Just focus on your stand-up. Focus on getting your material really good and doing a podcast. And he's like, what? Are you crazy? I got a network TV deal. Like, I'm not quitting that. I'm not giving that up. And then fast forward in time, he gets fired from the network. And so now he has no choice. And so he starts to do his podcast, and they help him out a lot, help him get everything set up podcast starts to take off that that leads to increased ticket sales his material is good he's working on his material he's getting up doing stand up more and now his career is in a position where he's doing better than he ever had before and that's more so what the comedy store is about now about creating your own show right so it's this really uh process this cool process starting from the six, the 70s 60s and 70s of watching gatekeepers deteriorate but it's also beautiful stories of all the things you know bad things great things crazy things that happen at the comedy store and how they put those all into this documentary you know jay leno david letterman they all came through the comedy store so you really should watch it definitely check it out one of my favorite documentaries i've seen in a long long time i tweeted the other day that i may or may not have watched it every day since i watched it and it's more of a docu-series there's five episodes so i've been going back to my favorite parts and you know i want to hear that part again or i want to hear you know that that bit about dice clay again and see you know his rise and fall very informative if you are in love with comedy in any way as a fan or as an active participant you have it's a mandatory for you to watch this documentary. It's mandatory for you to watch this documentary. Uh, since we're on comedies and we're talking about docs, you should also watch a documentary called The Comedian on Netflix. It's uh, It details the real life of a comic, building a set from zero. I loved it. Um, it details pretty much two comedians. Jerry Seinfeld is the main one, and Orny Adams is the second one. Two very funny people, two very different people. And you'll see those differences and why that matters in the documentary. Uh, but also you get special appearances from Chris Rock. You get special appearances from George Wallace. Um, uh, I, I think uh, Ray Romano shows up at some point. Uh, Bill Cosby shows up at some point. 
came out in 2002, but you should really, really check it out. This is Seinfeld at the height of Seinfeld, you know, doing the show and you know, nine seasons and leaving at the top and all and going out to clubs and, and bombing to get great material. That was one of the most encouraging things to see someone who I think is so pristine as a comedian, so polished like Jerry Seinfeld, go out and bomb working on new material and like literally forgot what he was saying in the middle of saying it and then went to his notebook, couldn't remember it, stood there in silence for what felt like an eternity and still was able to continue on. Uh, There's another documentary I watched last night uh, about comedy, but I can't remember what it is right now, but it had Seinfeld, Kevin Hart, Tiffany Haddish, um, Bobby Wang, uh, a lot of a lot of great comedians, Martin Lawrence, Jamie Foxx, a lot of great comedians. Anyway, I'm a fanatic for documentaries and especially comedy documentaries, so you should definitely check that out. Speaking of documentaries, I want to do a two-word movie review of a documentary that I saw also on Showtime. Round of applause for Showtime. They're getting to it. They are getting to it. They got the Comedy Store documentary. They got this uh, documentary I'm about to talk about now, Your Honor. I just saw a preview for that last night, and I, I'm hooked. So Showtime's definitely getting my money. But they have a documentary that came out last year. Actually, at this point, two years ago. It came out in 2019, and it's called Hitsville, The Making of Motown. And oh my gosh, what an incredible documentary. Um, It centers around Barry Gordy and his process of how he built Motown. And it starts from him working in the factory, writing songs for Jackie Wilson, all the way up through every artist that you've ever loved (laughs) from Motown. And it's incredible. And so my two-word review for that movie, that documentary, is, of course, Goat Talk. Go talk. Gary, Barry Gordy is the goat. I almost called him Gary Bordy, which would have been hilarious. Uh, Barry Gordy is the goat. When you listen to the way that he talks as a visionary, the way that he had ideas to be able to bring new light and new innovations to the record industry, it's just incredible. His business mind is incredible. His music mind is incredible. His ear for music is incredible. His processes are incredible. I'm always fascinated with people who can make associations with between two things that shouldn't be able to be associated with each other. I think that's a mark of a great comedian. I think that's why they can shift perspective and help you look at things different. I think that's a mark of any genius is that they make associations that other people can't make. No one in his time was making the association between the record industry and car production and assembly lines. As a matter of fact, when he brought it up to friends and family, everyone around him was against it. He had been writing songs for Jackie Wilson and he had hit songs, but he was making no money for it. And at the time, according to him, when you wrote someone a song, they either paid you or they didn't. And if they didn't, there was really nothing you could do about it. And if you got paid, you didn't care about getting paid the right amount. You just got some money, so you were happy. And so he had to quit and go get a real job. You know, he started out one business, moved to another business, had to go get a real job. I identify with that story so much. From a young boy, he was an entrepreneur. I remember going, selling candy in high school, and then I graduated, and 
ended up buying six, seven vending machines and had them in six locations around the city. You know, so I understand that hustle and grinding. I think he was selling newspapers. And he said he learned his first great lesson was selling newspapers because he wanted a newspaper that everyone would buy, not just black people, but everyone would buy. And so he went to the white neighborhoods and he started selling newspapers to white people. And he made more money than he ever had in a single day in his life selling newspapers to white people. And so the next week, he grabbed his little brother and said, hey, man, we're going to go to this white neighborhood. We're going to make some money. We got a newspaper that everybody's going to love, not just black people. So we're going to sell it in the black neighborhoods and the white neighborhoods. And he went to the night, white, white neighborhood, him and his brother, and they sold zero newspapers. <laughs> he said, and that was my first great lesson. I knew that one little black boy in the neighborhood is cute. Two, it's trouble. <laughs> and he started to learn. And think about that for a second. You could easily take that and be offended. You can easily take that as uh, something personal or emotional or whatever. But for him, it was just data. He's approaching his approach to life is like a scientist. That's the way that I intend to approach life. I very rarely take things personal, even if they're personally done to me. I understand that I'm just receiving data and feedback. If I have a project that fails, a show that fails, a joke that fails, that's just feedback for me to understand more data, to, to be able to get more data so I can try to make sense of what I'm trying to do. So he looked at that and said, OK, two's a crowd. <laughs> Two's trouble, two's frightening, so he didn't bring his brother the next time. But anyway, he evolved and eventually found himself having to get another job at Ford Motor Company because he's writing songs, he loved music, the songs are hits, but he's not getting paid. So he wants to start his own record company. And he's on the assembly line in Motown, and he's listening to all this music and noticing how all, all people, all people at Ford, white, black, Hispanic, whatever, they're all enjoying the music. And he noticed that the assembly line had a process step by step. And he said, I can do this with music and music artists. And so he started to tell his family and his family was like, no, people aren't cars. People aren't machines. They're not parts. They have feelings. You can't take them, take an artist through an assembly line and come out with a great product. On the other line. It, it doesn't work. But he knew he made the connection and association that it could work. And so he went and he had to borrow uh, money from his sister, right? His sister had, they all had money kind of set up for him. The family owned a grocery store. His parents owned a grocery store. And so he begged his sister for $1,000. He had this business plan of how he was going to make the money back. And uh, everyone said to him, why would she give you $1,000? You're writing songs now and they're, they're hits. They're on the radio. They're doing all these, but you're not making any money. And he was saying, that's the point. <laughs> and that resonated with me as well. It's been so many times where someone is looking at something that I'm doing and saying, that's not working. Why would you do more of that? But for me, it's not about it not working. It's about knowing why it's not working and knowing how to fix it. And that seems crazy to a lot of people. Sometimes you look at a situation and you say, yeah, that's, I don't see how that's going to work. But if you're in it, you know how it could work. We just need the right resources. And so his sister didn't give him $1,000, but she gave him 800 and he began Motown. He started with Smokey Robinson. He built it from there. You get to hear and see Marvin Gaye in this documentary. You get to hear some of the vocals. You get to hear the origins of, of Marvin Gaye and how he's a, a jazz singer before he went to soul, right? And before he went 
to be the Marvin Gaye we all know today. You get to see those those images and videos of him and watching and listening to him playing the piano and to talk about the innovation of how when Marvin finally kind of broke out of of, of Barry Gordy's uh, system, so to speak, and Barry he had built up enough trust for him to be able to experiment how he layered his music and his thought process and how it created something just so heavenly and beautiful. You get to see a young Stevie Wonder walk into Motown for the first time, right? Imagine having Marvin Gaye there. Imagine having The Temptations there and David Ruffin. And then imagine Stevie Wonder walks in with a harmonica and plays every instrument in the room. And then imagine he grows up and he comes to bed and then, then Michael Jackson walks in, a young Michael Jackson, who they said was when he performed like a, a, a 30, 40-year-old man trapped in that young kid's body. He sung Smokey Robinson's songs better than Smokey Robinson. And then when he was done singing the performance over, he just went back to a small, innocent kid again. At seven, eight years old. Just imagine, right? And then down the hall is Diana Ross and the Supremes. And then you got uh, Mary Wells and over here. And you got, you know, it's just amazing the things that they were able to build. And so definitely, definitely, definitely go check this out on Showtime. Um, it's amazing documentary. If you love music or anything creative and you have a business mind to make it work for you as a career, as a business, you should definitely check it out. It's called Hitsville, the making of Motown. Uh, Barry said that you should call it Barry and Smoke. Him and Smokey were the one-two punch. He said they competed on everything, including getting girls and including writing the best songs. And they, that's another thing they talked about how competition really uh, led the way in their organization. And they had a tremendous organization with strong systems, strong talent. I mean, it is the model for how every business should be ran. So if you have anything that you want to do creative and business-wise, you should watch this documentary. Okay, lastly, we're going to talk about uh, a segment that I did last week on the show that I think went really well. I think it's going to be a hit. I definitely enjoy it. Hopefully you did. Hopefully you did too. It's called Marriage Advice Nobody Asked For. Thank you. Thank you. Now, here is the funny thing. So, a little behind the scenes. This is what I do. I'm on Reddit every day. Uh, I recently discovered Reddit, like, last year. And what I say recently discovered, I always knew Reddit was a thing and that it existed. But I never really started to go on there until last year. And I started a bunch of uh, a bunch of things that were interesting to me but one of the things that were most interesting was the marriage advice because i love talking about relationships i love talking about marriage i love talking about the interesting dynamic that is male and female and so i want to read this to you and give you some advice okay this is coming from mr joe that's what we're going to call he didn't give his name i'm going to call him joe last week i I talked to rosie that wasn't her real name either i'm making up names we're going to call this guy uh joe He says, the title of this one is, I feel like my wife is just looking for things to get upset about. Well, she is. Next question. (laughs) Arguing with women is different. I'm going to tell you this. I said this, and this is uh, something that I said at my show the other night. Arguing with women is different. Women are always prepared for an argument. Women store up arguments like a rainy day fund. 
They got arguments <laughs> in shoe boxes and under the mattress and buried in the backyard in a coke can. Like they got they got arguments for days. You can never out argue a woman. They save it like mm, I'm gonna need that later, and then just spring it on you whenever they need it. So if you feel like your wife is just looking for things to get upset about, she probably is. But before we judge, let's just go a little bit deeper into this. He says it's only been recently. And I don't know what's going on. A couple examples are last night after she had fallen asleep around 9 p.m. I was on my phone reading sports news and just winding down. She woke up and the conversation went like this. What are you doing? Nothing. What's up? What are you looking at? Raiders news. Of course you are. Can't you just put your phone down and go to sleep? Uh, It's only nine. I'm not ready to go to sleep quite yet. She then huffed. Rolled over and went back to sleep. (laughs) Listen, listen, fellas. Remember this piece of advice. If you don't remember nothing else I say, remember this piece of advice. You're wrong. You have to get comfortable with being wrong. Now, when I say that, that doesn't mean that you're actually wrong. That part doesn't matter, though. Here's the most powerful thing that you can say to yourself in your head. I don't want you to say this to your wife because you may not get a chance to say anything else. Okay, I don't want anybody to die because of the advice that we give on this podcast. There should be a disclaimer here below me or something. But listen to what I'm telling you. You're wrong, but it becomes powerful when in your brain you can say, I'm wrong. Now what? Now what? What is she going to do now that you're wrong? Nothing. (laughs) The only thing she's going to do now that you're wrong is shut up about it. That's it. (laughs) Isn't it amazing how it works? Sometimes being married is like being friends with the bully. Sometimes you let the friend bully you and you just act like it doesn't bother you. (laughs) And then guess what? He doesn't bully you as much anymore. (laughs) You know how you can shut that conversation down? Let's run back through it. I'm going to tell you what I would have said. What are you doing? She says, nothing. What's up? What are you looking at? Oh, I'm looking at Raiders news on my phone. Of course you are. Can't you just put your phone down and go to sleep? You right, babe. My bad. What does she say to that? (laughs) What What do you say now? (laughs) Argue with me now. You can't do it. You can't do it. You just roll with it. You just you just roll with it. That's what you have to learn to do as a man. Sometimes you just got to roll with it. <laughs> Sometimes you don't even duck the punch. You just go with the punch. You just go down with it. Yes. <laughs> if someone's going to punch you in your face and you can't avoid it, sometimes you just fall. It's better if you do it that way. <laughs> now you're on the mat. They're happy. They don't want to punch you again. No one's going to punch you when you're still on the mat in a boxing match. He's down. I did my thing. Only you're not down. You're not down. Let go of your pride. It's so powerful when you can say, I'm wrong. So what? Yeah, babe. You're right. My bad. Diffuse the situation. The bomb has been diffused. The puzzle has been solved. And the jumbled up scrambled word that is my marriage has been decoded. Game, set, match. That's what you got to do. 
That's what you got to do. See, marriage is a tricky thing. Marriage will teach you how to mind your own business. It will teach you how to be humble. It'll teach you how to, to, to not care about everything. Here's the most powerful thing in marriage. When you start to not care about the answers. Because your spouse is going to do a bunch of things that doesn't make sense to you, right? But here's the thing. Most of them don't have to make sense to you. It doesn't have to. You'd want to know. I mean, it may bother you to not know, but you don't have to know why she does that. Why does she wake up out of it? Why is she angry asleep? (laughs) Why is your first thought when you wake up this just to be angry with me? Why are you? You're asleep. Why do you care what I'm doing when you're asleep? My wife comes home and she looks for evidence of things that I wasn't supposed to do when she was gone, but I did anyway. Why do you care? You weren't here. You were asleep in the situation. Joe, she was asleep. You could drive yourself crazy trying to figure out why she cares, trying to figure out why she is the way that she is. But here's the thing. It doesn't matter. You don't need to know. She is what she is, and you just have to be okay with that. Is she looking for problems? Yes. Is she looking for things to be upset about? Yes. My advice, don't disappoint her. (laughs) Let her find something to be, yeah, you want to be upset? I'm sorry. Be upset with me. It's okay, because what are you going to do? Nothing. You're just going to be upset, and you're going to go back to sleep. And I'm going to say okay, and I'm going to pretend to go back to sleep too. But then... Under the cover, a little light. It's going to be my cell phone checking out Raiders news. All right, guys. <laughs> That's the end of this episode. Great episode. Appreciate you guys hanging out with me. Uh, don't have any announcements. No shows coming up uh, as of now. Enjoy your Valentine's Day weekend. I hope you have a Valentine. If you don't have a Valentine, I hope that was strategic, uh, part of your financial plan to make sure that you ain't spending money on somebody that you don't plan to be with long term. You should resurrect your relationship around Easter. That's my advice. I'm out. See you guys next week. Peace.